Are you an accredited investor looking for a new opportunity to generate passive income and build the retirement of your dreams? Then elevate your investment game with Viking Capital, where wealth meets wisdom. Whether you're a seasoned investor or just starting out, Viking Capital can help guide you towards financial freedom through passive real estate investing. With strong and transparent underwriting, Viking identifies low-risk opportunities with the goal of preserving investor capital and maximizing long-term growth potential. And their accessible and responsive investor relations team will help you understand how each investment will impact your unique financial goals. With $800 million in assets acquired, more than $230 million in equity raised, and more than 5,000 units under management, Viking Capital is your path to early retirement. To learn about Viking Capital's latest investment opportunity, which is available for you right now, visit go.vikingcapllc.com forward slash best. That's go.vikingcapllc.com forward slash best to get started today. Did you know that within a decade, women will hold $30 trillion in investable assets? Yet somehow, only 19% of women reported feeling confident in selecting investments that align with their long-term goals. Our friends at InvestHer are out to change that. InvestHerCon is the number one premier conference for women in real estate, and it's happening June 2nd through the 4th in Austin, Texas. InvestHerCon is not just another real estate conference. It's a transformational experience focused on real estate investing, business strategies, and self-care tactics all designed to help women take control of their financial futures. Gain the knowledge and skills you need to grow your portfolio and build a sustainable business, all while connecting with over 500 women who are playing at the same level. To learn more and to get your tickets, visit InvestHerCon.com today and use the code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. That's InvestHer, H-E-R, Con.com, Promo code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. Quick disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities or to make or consider any investment or course of action. For more information, go to bestevershow.com. There's abundance oceans of opportunities out there and real estate is an awesome, is a wonderful asset class to create wealth. So if you are sitting on the sideline thinking, stop thinking, just dive right in, do some research and do it right away. Welcome to the Best Ever Show, the world's longest running daily commercial real estate podcast. Our hosts interview commercial real estate experts every day to get you the best advice ever with none of the fluffy stuff. Best ever listeners, welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Slocum Reed and I'm here with Elsa Nguyen. Elsa is joining us from Fremont, California. Her company is Sunrise Equity Group. They are apartment syndicators. Current portfolio consists of 200 apartment units and 225 units in pre-construction development. Elsa, can you tell us a little more about your background or what you're currently focused on? Yes. Well, first of all, I just want to thank you, Slocum, for the opportunity to be on your podcast today. It's just a pleasure to be here. I came from a both an accounting and real estate background. I worked in accounting for almost a decade, and I had a real estate license at the same time, but worked very much part-time. And after 10 years in accounting, I figured that I did not like to get stuck behind a desk, eight to five, and I wanted to do something that I love to do, which is real estate. So I went into real estate full time, 
since 2018, started my first syndication 2019, and that was a land development deal for hotels. So it wasn't even apartment. And fast forward in 2020, beginning of 2021, I learned that hotel might not be the best access class to go after at the time. So I did some research and jumped right into multifamily ever since. Gotcha. So you started with syndicating a land deal for hotel development. Within that general partnership, what were your responsibilities? I worked as CFO of the company and I own a third. I was a GP on that one and own a third of the GP equity group. So I look after deal findings. That was North Star Development. So I look after the deal finding. I underwrote the number, basically look after all the financial aspects of the company. Gotcha. So you're not necessarily in acquisitions or in capital raising. Your responsibilities occur primarily while the business plan is being executed? Actually, no, because I was a licensed real estate agent. So I was actually out there actively looking for the deals as well. Gotcha. I underwrote the number and I was actually very much heavily involved in capital raise for that deal. Me and my partner at the time, we brought uh, in four and a half million dollars for that deal. And I didn't even know that was quite a big raise for a very first syndication. But you know what? I live in the Bay Area. She goes, let's start it with $250,000. I'm like, okay, let's go for it. And we were actually able to fully raise. We had 26 days close of escrow once we got in contract. So we were able to pull it off in 26 days. It was amazing. So you wore one third of all of the hats. Pretty much, yes. Gotcha. (laughs) Elsa, if it's possible, I'd like to go back to our pre-COVID mindset, your first syndication deal was a land deal to develop into a hotel. You're based in the Bay Area. I'm in Cincinnati, Ohio. The narrative that's going in my head that I imagine is also going in the heads of a lot of our listeners is, well, yeah, if you want to get into commercial real estate in an area like the Bay Area, you've got to start with something like that in order to get serious returns because returns are so compressed for standard asset classes. That leads me to ask, though, where is that hotel deal? That one was in San Jose, and that was a 15-minute bike ride from the Apple headquarter. And it just fell in my lap, to be honest with you. I started out with an LP for another hotel developer in 2018. And that kind of how I got into that hotel development, land entitlement. And it was a lot of money in there. If you know much about land entitlement, we had no intention of building it out. We just wanted to purchase the raw land, work with the city to get the zoning approved, and then we'll turn around, we sell it to a developer right away. So the spread is getting that approval. Is that what actually happened? Yes. Actually, that property is currently in contract right now. And unfortunately, right before COVID, right before we got the approval, it took us a year to get the approval, but we had three LOIs. So I'll tell you the detail. We got in contract for that one for six and a half. And me and my partner, we went to every single hotel conference that we could have hit. And we got three LOI, anything between 11 to $12 million dollars. And we never got to closest because of COVID. Everybody withdrew. We are actually currently in contract right now for over $9 million. And it wasn't even from a hotel buyer. It's from a multifamily group. Oh, wow. 
So still a natural appreciation just for holding the land for a period of two years, even though the use has slightly been changed, but you could see that just still a lot of values in it. And let's be real. The issues that you faced were things that were completely outside of your control in this mm-hmm. regard. So I don't want to dwell on that. I want to go back to the questions I'm asking myself. And the question I'm asking myself is, what does it take to find a lucrative deal in the Bay Area? So you're an agent. You were doing deal finding. You were involved in acquisitions. Was the conclusion you came to that finding raw land, getting through the entitlement process and selling it to a developer was the best way to invest limited partners capital and get a decent return within a few years. Why is it that that's the conclusion you came to? Back then it was because honestly, that's the only thing that I know at the time until after COVID or until COVID hit, that's when I started researching other real estate classes and I stumbled upon a multifamily and I just fell in love with that because the certainty of the predictable return rather than the land development. Yes, there's still be a lot of opportunities in there, but you're not going to see any return until the project is successful. Whereas with multifamily, I can go out and buy an apartment and I still get that rental income if I do it properly. If I underwrite the numbers properly, I know that there is that predictable return. So I actually shifted gear over from land development at that moment in time over to buying apartment buildings with investors. And I just recently got back into land entitlement again, but I'm not actually focusing in the California market. I actually out in Florida doing land entitlement because the land is so much cheaper over there and I could buy it for a fraction of what I would pay here. So that really minimized the risk with my investors. So I know if I purchase the land outright, there's always that possibility. You just never know when you get a, you work with a, a lender, but if I could raise money and purchase the land outright, if anything happened, we still own the land. So we minimize a lot of risk that way. So the way that you mitigate risk by investing in raw land in Florida instead of there in the San Francisco Bay Area is that you're purchasing outright with the same capital that it requires to put a down payment and get financing on land there in California? Correct. Okay. I wanted to push back on you and ask why it was less risky, but that answer is just so obvious. So COVID hits, apartments perform exceedingly well. You transition into apartment syndication for the sake of the stability and the growth Mm -hmm. that you see in the asset class during COVID. Correct. You then decide to go back to land development deals. Can you tell us a little more about what it is that you saw in land development opportunities in Florida that pulled you away from the stability of apartment syndications? Yes. So the truth is that I'm still doing apartment syndication. I just happen to come across a developer over there in Florida organically. And once he learned that I have entitlement experience out here in California, he offered me a position in the deal if I could help him do it. So we look at a piece of land over there, 20 acres for a fraction of what I would have paid here in California. And then the numbers that the performer projected, the returns is just phenomenal. And I couldn't say no to that. 
So I jumped right back in. He does have experience in land development and he had gone for cycle a couple of deals already. So this is he gotcha. keep on building on and he needs partners to help him take the other deals. So that's when I came in. I still love land entitlement. I think there's still a lot of money in there if you know how to do it, if you do it right. So the offer that he brought to me, I just couldn't walk away from. Also, we have a very sophisticated audience for the Best Ever podcast and a large audience. They are mostly familiar with apartment syndications. That's what the vast majority of our audience is engaged in. Let me give a quick summary of my understanding of how land development deals work and then let you correct me where I'm wrong, just to make sure that I and our audience understand what it is that you're looking to do here. So when I hear that someone's doing a land entitlement deal, what I'm hearing is that raw land is being purchased. Whatever raw means is not necessarily the primary factor in the business plan here in the strategy. What you're doing is acquiring land and then getting all the government authorities engaged and approving a business plan or a construction plan to allow for some sort of lucrative development to happen on that land likely without ever actually making any improvements or breaking ground. What you're going through is the process of dealing with all of the various government entities to get plans or a plan or zoning approved that will allow a developer to come in and execute on what they're already great at with the land that has already received the approvals necessary from the government. Is that correct? Yes, that probably covered 50% of it is. So the, the, the city. <laughs> so please, the city please tell me the other 50%, please. I want to hear this. So there's a group of vendors that we work with, and the city is one of them. So we would be working. I mean, you will start it out typically, it's a check for, in order to minimize the risk, I do not want to go against anything that the city say no to, right? So if the city say okay, you can put 10 properties per acre on this piece of land. I'm not going to go and ask them for an exception and try to do 12. Does it make sense? So that's one. If they tell me the high restriction is 60 feet, I'm going to keep it under 60 feet. So the first vendor that I would reach out to is the architect. So the architect would come in, show them what it is that needs to be done, and then they're going to draw their plan. Then we're going to bring in the civil engineer. We're going to bring in the geotech a team of vendors that we would bring into and we work alongside with the city to come up with the ultimate plan. And there will be a lot of back and forth going between the vendor team and the city. And it takes six to nine months. Sometimes it could take up to a year. And if you try to modify the plan or if you try to ask for exception, mm-hmm. I've heard that people could take up to three years to get it approved. So We want to minimize the risk by trying not to change any of the rules that already set out in the general plan. So with that being said, there's a group of people that we work with, and that's where all the fees, when you do the entitlement, we have to raise extra fee on top of paying for the land is for the entitlement fees. The city is only a small portion of the fee, but the majority of them would probably be paid to the architect or the civil engineer or the CEQA consultants. This is a group of people that we work with alongside. And ultimately, we got everything approved, take it out to the final hearing. And that's when we may have to show up to that director hearing. 
whether in person or on Zoom, and then the director gonna look at everything and that's when they decide whether to give us the final approval or not. And that's correct. Typically, I haven't taken anything vertical. So all we do is the planning, the permitting, just the horizontal work. And then once we have all that, we grab it, we pack it all up, and we take it to a developer. And it could be Dior Horn, it could be any builder, or a broker can market it for us. And we just tell them, here's the approved plan. We can purchase that and go ahead and build it according to whatever that already established here. We'll get back to the show with first some sponsors I'm confident you'll find value in learning more about. Everyone is looking for a recession-resilient investment. How can you try to prevent from losing money by picking the wrong fund and sponsor? Right now, you can get Reliant Real Estate Management's free guide, 10 Things to Consider in a Real Estate Investment Fund, by visiting besteverreliant.com. Answer questions like, is the organization's focus on you? And does the fund keep employees? Reliant Real Estate Management is ranked one of the top 20 largest self-storage operators in the country with one billion dollars in self-storage assets. After completing three funds and selling 38 properties with zero dollars of investor principal loss, they have an average project level IRR of 33% in just over 3.5 years. Visit besteverreliant.com right now to receive the 10 things to consider in a real estate investment fund and get access to their latest investment opportunities. That's besteverreliant.com, B-E-S-T-E-V-E-R, R-E-L-I-A-N-T dot com. Focusing on the entitlement process, my question is how detailed does your construction plan have to be? The reason I'm asking is that I can see where selling to a developer is highly appealing to the developer if you can get a plan approved without a lot of details and you give them the ability to come in and figure out what it is they want to build. Let's say you have an acre and you decide you're only going to put 10 units on it and they're going to be below 60 feet and you just leave it at that. These will be residences. There will be 10 of them and they will be below 60 feet. Please approve me. I can see a developer coming in and having some creativity and being able to use the systems, the skills, the infrastructure they already have in place to get into that. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you have to get approval for exactly how each of those 10 buildings will be laid out and not just how tall it is, but what brand of windows you'll be using and where all the electrical outlets are. I can see a lot of developers having concern about that because they probably already have a method of doing what it is that they want to do. So they would want the flexibility to be able to do things their way. Mm -hmm. So that being where my question is coming from, Elsa, understanding that every locality will be a little different what level of detail do you have to take a plan to in order to get through the entitlement process? That's a very, very good question. So with the work that I've done there in San Jose for the hotel, the city of San Jose was very difficult and we had to go back and forth and it even come down to the level of what kind of plant we can use. So we were suggesting that we're going to put the plant there and they say, no, that is not an approved plan by the city of San Jose, you cannot use that. Does it mean that they cannot change where to put the electrical outlet? The electrical, yeah, they will tell you where to put that. You cannot put that in front of the building. What kind of window do we use? If we're going to be using the one that's going to push out to the street, you know how you have those doors that kind of roll up the new one, and it may take the sidewalk space. That's a no. 
But if it's the window where you can roll up and down, then that's okay because now we're not invading the sidewalk space. So it's Elsa, really depends. Yeah. Let me ask because this is not my space. Apartments are my space. When you have to get to that level of detail where the city gets to dictate what plants get put in and what kinds of windows are being used, mm-hmm. what does the process look like? Find a developer who wants to build the thing that requires granular detail to approve. What does it look like to get that buyer? It wasn't hard for us to get LOI from developers once they see our plan. Now, that doesn't mean that whatever the city had approved, they cannot be changed. So say we can do 125 units there, and if they go back and they ask for 130, they're going to be hard. But if they can do 125 units and then they want to change the structure inside of the building, it's already dictated how big the square footage is going to be and what it's look like, and you're going to have to go with the architecture drawing that they approve. However, I believe can always modify it, but it will take time. If the developer wants to change anything, they're going to have to spend some time to go through that process with the city again. So everyone is different, but I haven't experienced any pushback from developers who had come to us and once we show them the approved plan and they walk away because they don't approve the design that we had came up with, if that makes sense. It does. I interrupted you. You were giving an example specific to San Jose. Are you experiencing the same level of detail from the city where you are in Florida? Not yet. So as of now, we are probably five months into the process. And as far as I understand, working with my partner, we have not experienced any pushback yet. And it could have been that we haven't got into the final stage yet. That is when there's a lot of back and forth. But right now we're about two-thirds of the way, so we're getting there. But I know as far as I know the city, we developing this land in the Fungia Spring. That's near Freeport, Destin Beach area. And the city is very collaborative, which is kind of nice. They want new housing over there. They know that it, they need more apartments So they are rather cooperative with us. So I have not experienced any pushback yet. When you're fully through the entitlement process and you're getting ready to sell, do you ever feel compelled to stay in the deal and get it developed yourself? Or is there just not as much profitability in the actual construction of the buildings you've had the plans approved for? That's a very good question. So that would be a yes and no answer. (laughs) I prefer to sell because I want to stick to the business plan, but tell my investors that this is a 12 to 18 months whole period. I want to stay with the business plan. The only time where I would consider to bring in a partner and build it out was with my hospitality project and that because of COVID. So we were sitting there staring at the approval all the LOIs are withdrew, withdrawn, and we were asking ourselves, what do we do now? Do we continue to fire a buyer or should we just go ahead and build it out? That was the only time that me and my partner was considered building it out. So we kind of changed our marketing a little bit and started to look for partners to take it out with us. But as far as my multifamily, the two projects that I'm working on right now, No, I have no intention of holding it. We just want to flip 
as a matter of fact, we have already started putting the marketing piece, uh, the package together with a local broker to get it out as soon as we get the approval. Gotcha. 12 to 18 month hold period before you sell. Why is that the business plan instead of getting the building developed yourselves? We don't want to deal with the uncertainties of costs with the materials expenses. Materials are super hard to find right now. Construction costs. So there's so many variables that we don't have control over. And we have to project it out maybe three, four years out. And that's just not part of our business plan. Our business plan is to buy land, get entitled, and sell. So that's kind of just what we, we, we try to stick into. That makes sense. It's a very different ask of your investors to say, we will hold your money without any sort of periodic return for 12 to 18 months. That's a very different conversation than we will hold your money without any return for five to six years, for sure. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah, I get that. <laughs> I personally tend to lean towards the, I don't want to say higher risk, higher reward. I want to say more complicated, higher reward. Fortunately, in all of my apartment deals I've bought, right? And I was just saying this with another guest. I've been fortunate to buy right, meaning that at any step along the way, I could have sold the deals I was working on for a profit. The moment I bought it, mid-renovation at the end, when I've done cash out refis instead of selling. And so I tend to prefer the more drawn out, more complex deals, so long as I know there's always an exit of selling along the way. Mm -hmm. You can't really sell a half-constructed hotel though, can you? Well, you can sell it for cheap. <laughs> well, yeah, that's, that's not you what I mean. You can sell anything as long as the right is priced. The price that's is right. <laughs> spoken like a true agent. <laughs> I say that I'm an agent myself. How are uh, you? Yes. Okay. Well, Elsa, are you ready for our best ever lightning round? Oh, absolutely. Yes, I am. <laughs> Great. What is the best ever book you recently read? That's a great question. Tax-free wealth by Tom yes. Wilright. That's probably one of the best books that I have read recently. What is your best ever way to give back? I don't know if I told you, but I am an immigrant to this country at the age of 13. And I grew up in Vietnam in a very, very poor village over there. So I grew up, I had like one pair of shoes and three pair of clothes. That's how poor we were. And there were days when my parents were at seas, we didn't have food to eat, so we had to go to the neighbor's and borrow some rice. So I have a heart for small villages like that and just go back and help the people over there that are still behind. So I do have a nonprofit organization that I established with a few other partners in the multifamily space. And we just tied money into that organization and we take that back to the villagers and partner with those people over there just to distribute free meals to them and also giving free medical supplies and medicines and treatments. I work with a local hospital over there. So we partner with them and once a month, a bunch of doctors gather together and went in and give free treatments, free food, free medicine to the people who live in those villages. That's awesome. Elsa, in your commercial real estate investing career, what is the biggest mistake you've made and the best ever lesson that resulted from it? That would probably be the very first LP deal that I invested in. Back in 2018, I invested into a hotel development deal and I lost all my capital. 
that was a blessing in disguise for me in a way because I felt that the money that I've lost in that deal taught me a very big lesson about how to become a better sponsor, how to vet better deals, and how to do it better than that developer who basically he lost all of the investors' money on that deal. So the lesson I've learned from that is that as a limited partner, you need to really vet your sponsor carefully and know what you get yourself into. Even though not all sponsors are created equal, so I've learned that we need to know what we're doing. Whether you are getting to a deal as a limited partner or a general partner, we all have to do our homework. That makes a lot of sense. And what is your best ever advice? My best ever advice is start early. Don't wait. <laughs> There's abundance oceans of opportunities out there, and real estate is an awesome, is a wonderful asset class to create wealth. So if you are sitting on the sideline thinking, stop thinking, just dive right in, do some research, and do it right away. Last question, Elsa. Where can people get in touch with you? People can find me on Facebook, LinkedIn, and I don't use Instagram. And then my website, sunriseequitygroup.com. I don't know if I'm allowed to put my link in on Facebook's profile, but they can definitely find me on there. Absolutely. We'll put those links in the show notes, Elsa. Thank you. Best ever listeners, thank you as well for tuning in. If you've gained value from this episode, please do subscribe to our show. Leave us a five-star review. And tell a friend about this episode so that we can add value to them as well with our conversation about land entitlement deals. Thank you and have a best ever day.